Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, it's good to see everybody this morning here at Trinity. I'm Pastor TJ. I welcome everybody online too. I forget that every week. I remember you this week, baby. Uh, Just a couple things real quick as we get rolling. Um, God is doing some incredible things, and this is one of the coolest things, I think, about serving God. He has something for you and I to do in the process of seeing the kingdom established. So we have some unique opportunities that are, that are coming up here at Trinity. I don't know if you remember this, but around September, I kind of started to put the bug in your ear saying that October, November, and December are times for us as a church to drop the nets. Why do we drop the nets during this season? Well, because how many of you know lost people matter to God? Because lost people matter to God, they matter to us. So at Trinity, we follow two really important things. One, we pursue God's presence. Why do we pursue God's presence? Because God's presence changes us. I, you can listen to me talk all day long. Trust me, you know, it, it won't do anything for you unless it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. God's presence brings transformation. So we, we, we follow and we pursue God's presence, but we're also passionate about the lost. Why? Because God told us to go into the harvest field, you know, to pray for God to bring laborers into the harvest field. Do you know what you are? A laborer. All of us go into the harvest field. When he left, he said, go and make disciples. That's what we do. So these next two weeks are great opportunities for you to share your faith with others. Christmas Eve is going to be absolutely bananas. How many of you have been to one of our glow services before? They're incredible. We're expecting over 1,000 people here in those services. You'll see things in a church you've never seen before. You'll see excellence, you'll see quality, and I promise you this, not only will you feel God's presence, but I'm gonna preach my guts out. I will. And you'll hear a very clear, thought out presentation of the gospel designed to do one thing, to allow the seed of the Holy Spirit to get into somebody's heart so it'll germinate and grow. So this is a great opportunity for you to invite your family, bring them, it's a one hour service. It's something I can promise you. People aren't going to be like, that was dumb. It is not going to be dumb. It's going to be epic. And then for our Christmas Day, you know, it's, it's a link. Share the link with people. Say, man, can you give 20 minutes? You know, Tyler alluded to this. You know, we've been working on this for, for months now. And I can tell you this, Christmas Day and New Year's Day are going to blow your mind. We have some elements in there and some cool things. It is not me standing in front of somebody going, wah, 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 like Snoopy. Like, remember the teacher on Snoopy? Uh, they're in different settings. We're in different things. And they're they're very cool. How many of you remember the thing we did a few years ago called the bridge for Easter? It's in that vein. We're on location. We're doing some crazy stuff. Our tech teams are absolutely amazing. These are opportunities for you to share your faith by uh, sharing a link. So do it. It'll be fun. Let's see God, uh, God you know, praised. We, we've seen some amazing things just in these, this last month. We've done Saturday Night Lights every, every, every night. And uh, even with that, we've seen transformation. We've seen people come to Saturday Night Lights that have come to church on Sunday, that have come and given their hearts to Christ. All because of lights. Weird, huh? How many of you know that God can use anything to bring you close to Him? He can. He can use your darkest situations to bring you close to Him if you let Him. God causes everything to work together for the good of those that love God, called according to His purpose. So it's exciting. So Christmas is upon us. I don't know if you're ready or not. For those of you that don't know this, this time next week, is Christmas. So men, 
If you have not gotten your gifts yet, I understand that the Wawa is open on Christmas Eve. If you want to move beyond Wawa land, you need to get your, 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 your ducks uh, in a row and get this thing rolling right now, you know? So, you know, we, like everybody else, we've been busy. We've got all the Christmas stuff done. And amongst that, you know, in the midst of that, we are still, we have to do our stuff too, because this is a busy time for us. So let me, let me give you a little window into the Harris household. Um, as spontaneous as I appear to be, I am very um, regimented in what I do. I'm regimented and calculated, and I'm a planner. And because I'm a planner, that means I can be spontaneous. It sounds like it's like against them, but it's not. So this is what happens usually. Mondays is the time that I really, I like to, to, to hone in my talk for Sunday. Because I like to let it kind of get in my heart. I like to let it simmer all week like a broth. I could change things. So, so Mondays, I'm home, and I'm working at home, and, and I'm not one of those guys that listens to music and stuff like that when they prepare. I just get in there, I like quiet, and I like listening to Jesus and just get this thing done. So Monday, I'm down there talking to Jesus, typing away at my desk, and I hear this. Ah! I thought, that's weird. That's not a normal how, not, you know, name in the, or sound in the Harris household. And I just dismiss it. Then I hear, ah, ah! And I go, what is going on? And then I hear, ah, get off me! And I realized distinctly that that's the voice of my daughter, Tori. And I'm thinking to myself, is she having a dream? Is she having a vision? Does somebody climb up on the other side of the roof? And do I have to, does dad have to go into dad mode and take care of business? What is going on? And then I hear Tyler scream, it's, it just, it's running, it's flew right past me. And I go, what is going on in there? So I come around the corner and I see this. So somehow, some way, this bird got into the house. So, you know, we go through the pleasantries. How did it get in? I don't know. Did you leave? I don't know. I don't know. Did something get out? We don't know. So again, we don't know how the, how the bird or the AK, the intruder, got into the house. All we know is this. It doesn't belong there. Now, have you ever had something in your house get in that doesn't belong there? All of us have had that experience. Maybe it's a mouse. Maybe it's, a, it's an ant. Maybe a monkey, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say a, a, a boy that your daughter brings home, but we're not going to talk about that either. You don't belong. Get out. Stuff like that. Now, regardless of what it is, all of us really, we take on the same approach when you find something that doesn't belong there. You strategize and you deal with the intruder. Now, lucky for you, I was able to capture the strategy <laughs> of us expelling the intruder on video for your viewing pleasure. Pull, pull the package out. He'll, he'll go that way. Go ahead, just pull it out. Yeah, he'll go. As he's hit the window, he's going to die. He's not going to die. Just shoot him that way, Ty. He's right there. What do you mean? He's not going to die. Are we trying to pick him up? Now, notice well, Tori's I, heart. She wants to see the bird on. saved. Go. Tyler's using the family thing to push the bird. Should I pick him up? No, I'll, I'll, I'll get the pool scout. Well, just, you can shoot him with that now. Hey. Well, he's probably hurt himself all the way. He's fine. Come on, buddy. <laughs> Notice the bravery of Tyler Harris. <laughs> well, grab a, do you have gloves or anything? There you go, keep going. See, I think the bird was like, there's food here, there's cookies, why do I want to leave? This is like, I hit the mother load. Good. Now, this is where I spring into action. Watch this. Go ahead. 
Go. 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 Probably. It'd be great if it was like right back in my face. Hey, bye, guys. Notice the irony of the bird sitting on the welcome mat. <laughs> Get out, right? Did you notice that? Now, one thing you may, you may have also noticed with this, there's three of us, we weren't freaking out. We were going crazy. You know why we weren't freaking out and we weren't going crazy? Because we have dealt, as Harris's, with foul before. How many of you remember the story of Ryan Goosling? Right? And then if you go to the next slide, this is Tori doing her best puppy dog eyes to see if we can keep it. We are not keeping a pet goose. And just so you know, he went to the bird sanctuary, right? And, and as far as we know, Ryan is living his best life. Probably pooping in your, on your lawn right now as we speak. As long as not my lawn. So here's my point. Have you ever noticed that pressure situations, unexpected things, sometimes bring out of you things that you didn't even know that were inside of you? You know, maybe that guy cuts you off as you're driving to work, and you know, instead of you praising the Lord Jesus Christ on the beauty of the car that he's driving, you point him to heaven with that special one finger that shall not be shown or named. That coworker that finally got under your skin and, and something happens and you just lose it. Have you ever noticed pressure situations? unexpected things, they, they, they dig up what's deep inside of you. And sometimes we even surprise ourselves, don't we? It's weird, but in pressure moments, those things that are deep inside of you, they come to the surface and they're revealed. In fact, unexpected moments are opportunities to see really what's at the core of your heart. They are. They're kind of like windows into your soul. So over the last month, we've been looking at the Christmas story, and we've been, been discussing and exploring these certain things that when Jesus came, that he brought to not just the planet, but things that are supposed to dwell in the hearts for us as believers. Things that are, are more than just concepts, they're things that are supposed to, to mark us as believers. So we started our journey off by looking at the power of hope, and we saw how hope can propel us in dark times. Even though the night is dark, hope is that flickering candle that's inside of us that says, tomorrow will be a better day. As believers, we embody hope. And then the week after that, we looked at how God, you know, moved us into peace. And how God's peace is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Something that happens deep inside of us and how his real peace isn't affected by our surroundings. God's peace is an any. It's not an Audi. Then last week, we looked at the power of joy. We learned that we can have joy even in the midst of incredible pain. Joy sees the beauty even in tough situations. So today we, we take our final step for the Christmas season. And we focus on what I think is the most important aspect of all these things that, that, that Christ brought us. When Jesus came to the planet, he brought us hope and he brought us uh, peace and he brought us joy. But the most incredible thing that he brought us was the understanding of what love really is. Only God could show us what love is. Why? Because when God defined himself, when you boil God down to his essence, his DNA, he defined himself with one word, love. God is love. It's the essence of who he is. 
So that means for us as believers, love has to be the center of our faith. Love is the lens that we view God through, ourselves through, and everybody on the planet that we meet. In fact, love is essential if we're going to be the people that God created us to be. We need to understand love. So what does it mean for us as believers to be people of love? If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 4. If you have our app, you pick up, you know, hit my notes, you get all my notes on our app. If you have the U version of the Bible, if you look for live events, look for Trinity, you get all my notes. This is a cool thing, but I can tell you this. Loving God and loving people is the easiest, toughest thing you'll ever do in your life. It's kind of weird, but just the way that it is. 1 John 4, starting at verse 7, says this. Those who are loved by God... Let his love continually pour from you to one another, because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experience intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. The light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Verse 11, delightfully loved ones. If he loved us with such tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. So what do we learn from this passage? As far as us defining what love is, God showing us what real love is, and then what God expects of us when it comes to the love department. The first is this. Know this, beloved. God's love for us as believers is our source. He is the center. Love is the beginning. Love. Love, 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 love. Every time I hear the word love, I think of the princess bride. Love, true love. Right? So what is love? What is real love? Isn't it funny we spend most of our lives looking for this thing called love, but we really don't even know what love is? Have you ever thought about that, how complex love is? I mean, I love my wife, but I also love pizza. It's a different type of love, both equally important, but different. What is love? This is something that mankind we've wrestled with for a very long time, trying to figure what this thing out, so what this thing is. So sometimes what we do collectively as humans is as we figure these things out, one of the ways we do that is through the arts. We paint about it, we sculpt about it, and then probably more proficient than anything is we sing about it. We sing about what love is. So most of us have had our, our, our understanding of love shaped by our music. For example, many years ago, the Beatles kind of got us started with the song, All You Need Is Love. How many of you know that that's fake news? Love is great, but how many of you know that you can't go to Acme and buy food with love? I would like to have four pounds of turkey, and I'd like to pay with love. You know what they do? They throw you out is what they do, Right? You need a little bit more than love. You need practical application, too. You need those things, right? I remember back in the 80s, I remember, you know, watching uh, Huey Lewis in the news, watching Back to the Future, you know, you had the power of love. How many of you know that love's a powerful thing? It's so powerful to make you do stupid things sometimes. Have you ever had love make you do something dumb? You right? You ever had that experience? But there is a power to love. Back in the 80s, you know, some of you remember, you know, you know, some of you, you, know, you remember Pat Benatar, and what did she say about love? 
Well, no, that's later. <laughs> love's, love's a battlefield. How many of you have ever been in a battle because of love? How many of you fight every day because of love? I love him so much. You jerk! Right? You ever do that? Love's a battlefield, right? Or how about the Supremes? You can't hurry love. You just have to wait, right? You know, there's something biblical about that. Song of Songs says this. Don't awaken love before it's time. You know, so I, I preach that to my kids all the time. So, you know, you know, love takes time. There's patience in love, right? Or, you know, even air supply. You know, how, did you know that you could be all out of love? <laughs> I'm all out of love. By the way, you can tell. I saw them on TV like about a month ago. They look bad. <laughs> you can tell people that, you know, they had some stuff done and some people did. They didn't have anything done. They probably should have because they look really bad. It was one of those like infomercials where they're selling CD sets. You know what I'm talking about? You know, or some of you newer people, you young people, you like, you know, Beyonce, crazy love, right? I don't know that much about the song, but how many of you have dated some, you experienced crazy love because of who you dated? You know, she was crazy. And by the way, if you dated somebody, you know, and you don't know if you've ever dated anybody that's crazy, it's probably because you're the crazy one. <laughs> I'm just saying it's a possibility. It could happen, Right? Or I remember Whitney Houston, you know, she talked to us about the perseverance of love. And I will always love you. Remember that? That's great. And, you know, love perseveres, right? And we have the whole spectrum of love, even Jerry, the Jerry Giles band, that taught us love stinks. Yeah. Have you ever experienced love that stunk? It's true. Think of it. I mean, it's like, it's like love is like schizophrenic. We don't understand what it is. You've got all these outside forces telling you what love is. So here's my question for you this morning. Who has framed your understanding of what love is? All of us have some type of framework that tells us this is love. Have you ever thought about that? For some of you, it's your parents. You saw a great relationship. You saw a great marriage, and you modeled what you have now after what you saw. For some of you, because of what you experienced with your parents, you decided to go a different route because it wasn't so great. Some of you have framed what you know about love by books, things that you've read. Some of you by movies, all those things that you watch. Just so you know, most of the things that you read as far as stories, things that you see about love, they're, they're just, they're not true. They're, they're, they're just make-believe. I, um, it's been a long couple of weeks, been working, you know, stuff. I got late back from the tree lot. I walked into the house the other night, and the thing that I feared most had come upon me. I walked in, and I heard, I heard music, sappy music. I turned around the corner, and there in the living room, on all the comfy seats, were Robin, Tori, and McKenna. And they were watching a Hallmark movie. <laughs> I was tired. I just wanted to sit down. I wanted a place to put my, my tired carcass. But there was no place to sit where I would not have to endure. And this is the plot of the movie. By the way, you guys understand all Hallmark movies are the same, right? And by the way, if you're wearing a plaid shirt, you guys got a great, a great opportunity to get that girl in the Hallmark movie. All the guys in the plaid shirts are the ones that win. So this was the plot of the Hallmark movie. You ready for this? It's this girl that doesn't like this guy at first. I know that's unique. No Hallmark movie's ever done that before, right? So, and correct me if I get this wrong, Tori. Um, so this girl was, was a widow, and the guy was a widower 
but they didn't know it. And somehow, <laughs> somehow they got each other's number and they were texting each other, but they didn't know it was them. Have you guys seen this movie? Has anybody here seen this movie yet? Okay. <laughs> and, and they found out like halfway through the movie, oh, we've been texting each other unknowingly, even though he liked her, she didn't like him. And this has just been it. That's not real. Real life doesn't happen like that. You know why? We have a thing called caller ID. Right? But sometimes, you know, we do. We watch that stuff, and that, that is our standard of what love is. So where do you get your understanding of love? How do you frame, how do you understand what love is? Now, for believers, our understanding of love comes from God. He frames it. His word frames it for us. Why? Because God is the ultimate source of love. And our love as, as, as believers comes from our intimate knowledge of who God is and our relationship from him. Well, pastor teaching, how do you know that? Well, look at the passage. The passage says this, those who are loved by God, let his love continually pour from you to one another because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The more you know God, the more you intimately know God, the more you understand love. The more God's love frames you. So why as churches do we struggle sometimes to know love and to present love to others? Because we don't know God. Our traditions, our rules and regulations don't necessarily equate to an intimate relationship with God. You have to know him. When you know him, then you know love. Love comes from us, from that intimate knowledge of who he is and our relational connection with him. The more you know him, the more you understand how much he loves you. God is our source of love. So here's the question. If God is our source of love and God defines love, what does God do in our lives that, give us, that gives us a practical definition of the love that we need to be able to experience from God? Well, there's a few things that we're just going to sit on real quick. First is this. Real love, God's love, at its core is sacrificial. What does that mean? It means that real love is not self-focused. God's love is not self-focused. It's focused on us, not just him. Real love is going to cost you something. It just will. It will. If every loving relationship you have revolves around you, it's not real love. It's going to cost you something. It's going to get you out of your comfort zone. It's going to get you out of all the things that you need. If you find yourself in a place where you're, you're depressed, you're sad, you don't know what to do, serve somebody. Serve somebody. Help somebody else. Why? It'll get you out of your muck and out of your mess and get you into somebody else's life. And when you do that, the Bible tells us this. When you step out and you serve others, God comes and then he supplies all of your needs. But you have to take the first step. God's love is sacrificial. And he showed us that practically by giving everything that he had, the best that he had, his son. Romans 8, 5, or 5, 8 says this, but God shows us his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I've often thought about, you know, we sing about Christmas is the time that, that God gave us his son. We had him for 33 years on the planet. As a parent, the greatest thing that I have are my children. 
They're a part of me. They carry my DNA. And to give that up for people that may not even receive him is mind-blowing. But love is sacrificial. That's what God teaches us. The next thing God teaches us is this. God's love satisfies us. It satisfies the deep parts of us. If you're sitting here today and you find yourself restless all the time, you find yourself not being content with, with, with who you are and what you have, it means this, something inside of you is not connected and you're not experiencing God's love the way that you should. Because his love is incredibly satisfying for us. His love makes up all the parts of us. It fixes all the broken pieces. It pushes everything together. It makes everything complete. His love makes us perfect. Not perfect as in you're not going to make any mistakes, but complete. When the Jews greet each other and they say, they say shalom, it means this, may you be at peace or may you be whole. His love satisfies us and makes us whole. Isaiah 58, 11 says it this way. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. When you have the least, when you are struggling the most, when worries all around you, his love satisfies you. It's enough. You know, it's, it satisfies your desire in scorched places and makes your bones strong. And you're like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. So the satisfaction of God is. Third, God's love sanctifies us. What does it mean to be sanctified? Sanctified is one of these theological terms that's like, you know, $42. If you play that thing in Scrabble, you're, you're getting out big, baby. What does it mean? It means to clean you, to put you in right standing with who God is. God's love is so powerful, it transforms you, it sanctifies you, it makes you like Him. It takes care of all of those past things. If you don't know how to experience God's love, you will never have a posture of being able to please God. You find yourself ever striving and never resting. And you're not experiencing God's love enough to sanctify you. You are made right in His eyes by what He's done. As you follow His path. You know, 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins to Him. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. End of story. Done. He sanctifies us. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, who sanctifies you? Who? God. Let him do the work. For God supplies our needs. What does it mean to know that God's going to supply your needs? Have you ever found yourself in a place of worry, a place of anxiety, a place of fear? Some of you are here today and you deal with fear, and you've had fear in your life for a long, long time, and you can't get past it. Do you know why? Fear is a symptom. It's not the root. It's like a cough. How many of you ever had a cough and you go to the doctor's office? And what do they give you? Cough medicine. It doesn't take care of the cough. It'll keep you from coughing, but I want you to deal with the reason why I'm coughing. Is anybody with me? Let's get rid of that. I don't want to just have me pacify. Let's get rid of it. So fear is a symptom. You know what a fear is a symptom of? You know, you know what the root of fear is? Doubt. Unbelief. Fear is this. God, you are not enough. God, you can't. God, you won't. God, you're just not going to be there in time. 
Trace it back. That's what fear is. Fear is doubt and unbelief. If you deal with the doubt and the unbelief, fear will dissipate. But you have to deal with the root. If not, you're just going to chase your tail around that tree over and over and over and over because of fear. When you believe that God supplies all of your needs, it means this. You don't doubt that he's going to come through. You're not kept by worry and fear. So the next time you're afraid, don't say, God, get rid of my fear. Say, God, help me in my unbelief. Help me not to doubt. Show me that you supply all of my needs. By the way, when that word all, you know what that means in the Greek? All. That's not just money. Those are your relational needs. Those are the things that you need in your heart and in your mind so that when you lay your head on the bed, you know, the pillow at night, you go right to sleep. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Fifth, God selects us. He chose you. He wants to be with you. He loves you so much. Have you ever thought about this? That he didn't just come to die for you, but he brought you close to him and he invited you into something beautiful and precious, his family. He called you his own. He gave you his name. We have, um, I talked to my, uh, my, my cousin Evange this week. Um, so my Aunt Mimi's getting up a little older. She's getting up higher in, in age. And I don't know how many more Christmases we're going to have with her. So the Greeks decided they're going to do one big, big thing. So the Harrises, we're making the trip to Pittsburgh to celebrate with. We're not, it's not a huge Greek gathering. There's only like 50 of us. But it'll be decent enough, you know. We should have decent food. I don't know. Um, but we're all coming back. It's, it's just it's what we do. It's family. And I talked to my brother last night. He may try to come in from Chicago. It's just you're, you're, you're part of the family. God loved you so much. He invited you into this big, beautiful family. You who did not have a mother or a father, now you have everything that you need. You are part of the family. He's invited you into this big, beautiful, dysfunctional family. You know why the family is dysfunctional? Me. And maybe you. I don't, maybe you're better than me. I don't know. But it's still family. He calls you his own. This is what he says in Ephesians. He says, in love, he selected us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. He chose you. You know what that means? Remember being on the playground as a little kid? For boys, this was a big deal. And you're playing kickball. And your, your prayer is this, God, I don't want to be picked last. I don't want to be the one that they pick after they pick the broomstick. You know what I mean? Well, there's a broomstick or Harris. We'll take the broomstick. And then well, you get Harris. Ah! He wants you. He is a place at the table carved out for you. That's his heart. Six, he sustains you. True love doesn't just start. It finishes. The power of love is how it finishes. Anybody can start. True love sustains and pushes through the tough times. I mean, we can all start great, right? So what do you do when the road gets tough? God will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the love that he offers you. Even in times of trouble, even in times of turmoil, even, are you ready for this? When you are not at your spiritual A game, God stands right next to you. And he says, we're going to get this done. Hold my hand. Look at me. Hold my hand. Look at me. We're going to get this done. That's the God that we serve. He sustains you through. 1 John 4.16 says this. 
So we have come to know and believe that the love of God that he has for us, God is love and whoever abides in, uh, in love abides in God and God abides in him. That word abides a powerful word. I live in you, you live in me, we're going to get this done. I remember one time, this is nuts. We had, um, Rob and I were going on a cruise. We had our church in Illinois and we had just built a building like this and they wanted to give it to us as a gift. So three of us staff members, we were going on a cruise together and they got the time wrong when the plane was leaving. So we get to the airport, and they're like, you got to get to the gate now. Now, how many of you in your head, you think you're pretty ominous when it comes to athletic activities? But when reality hits and you got to actually run more than 12 feet, you realize you can't do what you did before. So we start running to the gate, and I look back, and Robin's like, like 20 feet behind me. And she looks at me. Again, we're going on a cruise, and she goes, just go, just go, have fun, just go. And I realized immediately, this was a test. <laughs> okay, hon, I'll see you in about four days. I'll be back. God bless you. God sustains us. He gives you what you need. You abide in him, he abides you. So together, you could go through anything. He sticks with you. I'm not leaving you here because you'll be mad. <laughs> I have to go. We got to get this done, right? And then this is very important. God's love is supernatural. It's a supernatural work. Don't ever forget it's a supernatural work. His love is not just this surfacey thing. You cannot love like Jesus without a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit operating in your heart. Because we're just not wired to do it. We are not wired for divine love. That happens with transformation. It does. The Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart. He transforms you and He gives you the ability to love when that ability did not exist anymore. Just what he does. Romans 5, 5 says this, and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. Who fills your heart with love? The Holy Spirit. Love is more than a choice. It's an act of the Spirit. So our interactions with God define what real love is for us. We see stuff like that and we say, okay, this is what real love should be. So regardless of the song, what you see on TV, what people tell you, this is the essence of real love. And this is what we do as believers. We create, you know, we, we anchor to that source of love. So that's the first piece. God's our source. But there's, there's another piece. So God gives us the wisdom and the understanding of what love is. But the second is this. How you and I love to God is very significant. This has got to be more than just head knowledge. This is action. This is what we do as believers. So for us as believers, know this. Loving others is not optional. It's how we live. Look at the passage. Look what it says. I love this. I love how it says, delightfully loved ones. If he loved us with such tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. Not occasionally, this is just the way that it is. It's our way of life. How many of you have watched The Mandalorian? Star Wars, this is the way. Do you know what they used to call believers before we were called Christians? People of the way. This is the way. This is what we do. This is how people mark us. It is. So how we love others is significant. It's our way of life. That means this, when people experience us as believers, they should see the love of Christ clearly displayed in our life. It can't be masked. It can't be, be muddied up. They should see it clearly. 
Now, that also means this. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything that comes down the pike. You can disagree with somebody and still love them. Do you know that? I remember um, I was in, in Denver, and uh, I was invited. Um, one of our girls was on a softball team. She was going to the University of Northern Colorado, I believe. And she invited me to a little sociology class. They were doing a little, uh, a little thing, and there was like 20 of them in the class, and, and I was on a call with them, and they wanted to interview me as a pastor. They wanted to ask me all kind of stuff. So I sat down, and uh, we were doing stuff, and I'm on the phone, and before we got started, one of the little, girl, little girls in the class, she goes, Pastor Harris, I just want to let you love something. She goes, I hate you. I said, well, oh, good morning to you. I don't know why you hate me, because I believe I'm delightful, but hey. And I said, well, how can you hate me? You don't know me. She goes, I know everything you stand for, and everything you stand for, I hate. I said, okay. And the teacher goes, let's begin. I thought, well, this is going to be a fun hour. So over the next hour, they asked me questions. They asked me things, and I shared my heart. Not just knowledge, not just theological position, but I shared my heart. And I could tell some of my answers were, were not fitting into the boxes that some people thought they'd fit into. So after our hour, I'll never forget this, of the girl, and I, I still don't even know who she is. I don't know if I've ever met her. I don't know if I ever will meet her. She goes, Pastor Harris, she goes, she goes I've never been in a church before. She says, but if I ever do, I would like to come visit your church. Why? Love. Love. I didn't agree with everything that they said, but I showed love. I showed the love of Christ. That's what God has called us to do. Love doesn't mean you agree with it all, but what love does mean is this. Our heart posture and how you respond to people is incredibly important to God. We don't get points, beloved. Just for just mechanically going through the right thing, you know, picking the right things or clicking the right boxes or enduring things. We don't get points for righteously treating people like garbage because they believe different than us. You don't get points for that. I learned early on in my marriage, I don't get points for just, you know, suffering. You know, I, I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. I, we grew up in a Christmas family, and, and I love the decorations, and I love the, the carols, and I love all the stuff. And I love 98% of all the traditions of Christmas. But there's one tradition that just drives me bananas. When, when, when Rob and I are married, I don't know if you know this about Robin. Robin is a classically trained dancer. It's incredible. But that also means this. Christmas time. There is one performance that is dance-driven that sits head and shoulders above all the others. It involves men wearing tights, <laughs> women dancing, people dressed up like rats and mice. That's right. It's the Nutcracker. Do you know how many times I've seen the Nutcracker? About, 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 about 2,700 times. People would find out what Robin did, and they would bless us with tickets to the Nutcracker. If they gave them to me, they would get lost. I, I don't know what I did with them. They're gone somewhere. I've seen that thing so many times, and you can only watch that so many times. It's the same thing. The mouse is going to lose. I get it. Please put on some clothes, men with tights, please. You can only take so much. And for the first few you know, dozen or so times, I was able to hold my tongue. But then I just lost it. In fact, the last time, <laughs> I feel bad about this. We, got, we had some parishioners in our church in Wisconsin, and their daughters were dancing in the Nutcracker. 
And they're like, it would be great if you could go and support the daughters. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to suffer for Jesus. So I'm sitting in there, and just to prove that I was there, I picked up my camera. These are little kids doing the nutcracker. You know anything worse than the nutcracker? There's little kids attempting to do the nutcracker. <laughs> Look at Johnny. He's a tree. I see that. So I picked up my camera to take a picture so I could send to them to prove to them I was there. And a the guy came up and goes, sir, you can't do that. There's no photography line. He goes, I'm going to have to kick you out. And I go, really? <laughs> if I hit this button, you're going to kick me out? <laughs> you know, let my people go! True story. <laughs> That's a very true story. Ask Robin. She was not happy with me that day. And I learned this. Just going and showing up is not enough. The same thing is true with God. God is not just concerned with you doing the right thing. He wants you to do it with the right heart. He wants love to flow from inside of you to others. He doesn't want empty things. He wants the reality. He wants all that stuff. Love is not easy. If it was easy, um, you'd see it everywhere, but you don't. I remember, um, and I've told this story before. Um, I was at one of our churches, and I had a disgruntled parishioner. Every once in a while, we have disgruntled parishioners. Um, and uh, he wanted to meet with me. And um, I, didn't, I didn't feel safe with him, so I brought a, an elder with me. And I, my office was upstairs in this, like, storage room. I just made it an office because we needed space. And he sat down, and he had one of those yellow notebooks. And single-line space, he listed on one seat and on all the other one completely, two full pages on how I stink. And it was everything. It was like, you know, I don't like the way you dress. I don't like the way you talk. Your eyes are dumb. Your face is dumb. I mean, it was getting pretty crazy. And I looked over, and my elder was sitting there, and a few times he's like, yeah, I agree. He really dresses crummy. I'm like, will you shut up? You're supposed to be helping me. <laughs> so he went through all the lists, and every time he would say something, this is how I prayed. Inside my heart, I prayed, Lord, I choose to love him. I, I just, I, I prayed his name, and I'm not going to tell you his name because he might be watching. I choose to love you. I choose to love you. Just in my heart, I choose to love you. I said that like 50 times. And when we got done, uh, he came up and he stormed out. The elder looked at me and he goes, man, what are you going to do? And he just walked out. I shut the door. I dropped to my knees and I started to weep. Because it just, it just hurt so bad. And I was like, Lord. I said, what, did I, how did I, what am I doing wrong? What's going on? And I felt God whisper this in my ear. Well done. You loved well. That's all I ask you to do. It's, you loved him well. You could have shouted. You could have screamed. You loved well. Thank you. That's what God's called us to do as believers, to love well. So what does love flowing from our heart, God to us, into others look like? What does it look like in the life of a believer? Well, good for us. God gave us a roadmap of what this love looks like in the, in the scriptures. But sometimes we forget this. We forget that that, that that work is a supernatural work. Flip your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. Now, this is the interesting thing about 1 Corinthians 13. You ready for this? Knowing where things are placed in the Bible is a big deal. When you read the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is Paul dealing with the church in Corinth that is having an issue. So he's addressing all the issues. You can't read 1 Corinthians without reading 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is the, is the answer to the issues, where he's like, you did great here, you did great here. What we like to do is take Scripture out of context and just use it for our own purposes, but you can't do that. So when you look at where 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, is placed, it's after 1 Corinthians 12, which is all about the spiritual gifts. 
We are a full gospel supernatural church. That means this. We believe that God works in supernatural ways. We affirm 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We do. If you don't agree with that, I love you. I hope you stay. But there's plenty of other churches that don't believe that. So then on the other side, 1 Corinthians 14 is a, church, is, is, is a chapter all about the prophetic. God speaking to us. Do you think it's happenstance that God put 1 Corinthians 13 sandwiched between those two things? He could put it anywhere in the Bible. He put it there. Why did he put it there? You know why he put it there? It's a supernatural work. Love is a supernatural work. It's hard. So how do we love well? What is how we love being significant to God? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, this is what God says on how we are supposed to respond as believers in love. Love is patient. What does it mean for us that love is patient? Have you ever wondered why you lose patience with people? Have you ever thought about it? Do you know why you lose patience with people? You're selfish. You're not worried about them and their development. You're worried about what you got to do. Either how it will reflect on you or that my time's important. My, 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 my. My, 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 my. You're, you remember, remember finding Nemo? Mine, 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 mine. If you're truly patient with somebody, you care about their development, not just your own. You got to get your eyes off yourself. Love, love is patient. So if you struggle with patience, pray for God to give you patience. And by the way, if I see you at Acme and you're in line, don't tell me to get behind you in line because if you're praying for patience, that's going to be the longest line in the store because God's going to put you in, in situations to show you how you're doing in the patience department. Love is kind. Do you know that people don't have to do anything to deserve your kindness? You are kind. It's who you are. It's what you do. It is your way. This is the way. You're kind. I've heard people actually say this. Well, it's like kindness is kind of like respect. If, if you respect me, I'll respect you. If you're kind to me, then I'll be kind to you. And this is what I have to say to that. <laughs> how people treat you is no bearing on how you treat them. You show them the way to Christ by being kind. And by the way, oh, everybody say, Pastor TJ. I don't want another one of those meetings with the notepad. Say, we love you. Because Jesus said we had to. Whew, here we go. Kindness is not something that we dispense because of somebody's social status, status of income or intelligence. We are kind. Whether you have a doctorate or you have a broom, it doesn't matter. We're kind. That's what we are. We are people that are kind. We are no respecter of persons. That's what we do as believers. It says it does not envy. Now, thank God in the church we don't envy things. Like positions, right? You know, how come he made it on the worship team and I didn't? That's just wrong. How can you tell when you've dealt with envy? When you can truly celebrate the success of others. And not like fake it. Oh, good for you. Yay. And you're thinking to yourself, why them and not me? This is how you can tell if you're envy or not. When somebody tells you how, you've been, how they've been blessed, and if your immediate thought goes, well, how come God didn't bless me like that? You know what that is? Envy. And the love of Christ is not moving around in you. So what do you do when you have those feelings? You drop to your knees, you take it to God. You say, Lord, help me to not be envious. And here's a practical way to, to defeat envy. You ready for this? Pray for those people. Pray blessings on those that you struggle with. Not just your enemies. Those that you envy. Celebrate. 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 Don't be envious. 
Love does not boast. It's not proud. Everything you have comes from Christ. Everything. I remember um, a good friend of mine, his name is Rusty Nelson. He wrote some really cool worship songs back in the 90s. And uh, he wrote this song called A Pure Heart and did a Hosanna album and stuff. And he was singing and doing these great things and he lost his voice. So he was praying one night by his bedside. And he was the most talented man I think I've ever met. And this is how he was praying. He was praying, Lord, you've given me too much to abandon me. Lord, you've given me too much to not use me. So you have to heal me. You've given me too much. He says, as he was praying that, God, he shut up. He said, Rusty, stop. He said, and he showed him a vision of a little kid sitting at his bedside praying, Lord, just use me. He says, everything I've given you, I can give to that little kid. This isn't about you. It's about me. And the reason you can't sing now is because I'm trying to help you to understand that. God broke him, healed him, and then he wrote this song called A Pure Heart that is absolutely amazing. Why? He understood. God taught him that love does not boast. It's not proud. It's not about us and our accomplishments. It's about the kingdom. It's always about the kingdom. So we celebrate that. I mean, God can use any of us. If God can use a donkey, he can use you. He can use me. So we celebrate that. Love does not dishonor others. What does that mean? We don't trash people. A pastor, I never do that. Don't you? I'm some of your Facebook friends. Right? How many of you are my Facebook friend? We don't don't trash people. We see this bad sometimes in, in the church today. People that think theologically different than us. Pastors, preachers, things. Don't, don't trash them. I don't throw stones at anybody. I take my, my, my yearnings and those things to, again to God. Now again, there's doctrinal error. You deal with that, but you can do that in a really good way. You know who taught us that? Joseph. You know the Joseph I'm talking about? Joseph, stepfather to the king of kings and the lord of lords. What did he do when he found out that Mary was pregnant? He decided to do what? You know what he could have done? He could have had her stoned. You know what he could have done? He could have smeared her name everywhere. But he was a man, a humble man, a broken man, a good man. He decided to divorce her quietly to save her reputation until he was visited in a dream. You know what that is? Honor. Don't dishonor people. Love people. If you don't know the circumstances, keep your mouth shut. If you do, Keep your mouth shut. Honor. Honor is one of those things, beloved, that it's, there's a matter of reaping and sowing with it. As you sow honor, you will reap honor. Just like grace. If you sow grace, you'll reap grace. Just like Jesus' words. If you sow judgment, you will reap judgment. Do you know that? The judge, you know, the way that you judge others will be used against you. Think about that. Are you telling me there's a sliding scale of judgment? I don't ask Jesus about it. Love is not self-seeking. That means we don't promote ourselves. We follow God and we allow God to exalt. We allow God to put us in the places we need to be. This is my favorite book in my library other than the Bible is a book called A Tale of Three Kings. I've probably given out 300 copies of it. And here's the simple premise of the book. God puts you exactly where he wants you. When he's done with you, he'll move you somewhere else. You don't have to fight to get to that place or you don't have to fight to keep it. We're not self-seeking. 
God put you exactly where you need to where you need to go. Some point, three years ago, God decided that Hokessin needed a chunky Greek guy, and here I am. Didn't even know where Delaware was. I knew it was connected to PA somehow. That's all that I knew. Love is not easily angered. Um, sometimes we forget this. We sometimes we will will reason away our traits, um, like anger and things. Well, he's just an angry person. We just understand that. I don't understand it. You know why? Because you're a new creation in Christ. The Holy Spirit does the work. And if you get angry, that's fine. You take it to the cross. And as believers, as brothers and sisters, we don't just sweep things like that under the carpet. We lean into them. And we help us to be better. We can do that without being jerks. But we don't, we don't shy away from the, those things. So love's not e- easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Forgive, forgive, forgive. We have to forgive so quickly and so completely that we don't even remember the offense anymore. It's gone. Let it go. Some of you have still been held captive because you cannot forgive. When you forgive, that doesn't mean that, that what happened to you was, is taken lightly. All it means is this. You've taken judgment and vengeance and you put it in God's hands, not your own. And they're the best hands to put it in, trust me. And it gives you freedom. Love. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. That means this. We do not become the world. We shine. How people treat us is no bearing on how we treat them. We shine. Love always protects. It always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. There's a common word to all those things. Always, 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 always. What does that mean? That means, guys, this is our nature. When people see us, when they experience us as believers, this is what they should experience. Somebody should be in a room with you for five minutes, and in five minutes they should be able to discern there's something different about this person. I remember years ago I had an opportunity to, we were doing some fine arts festival thing, and I was in a room with Dub Clay, who's our general superintendent now of the assemblies. That's a big deal. And I remember I had a, a, a parent that was upset because one of the judges said something to her kid or something weird. And I remember this guy walking in the room, and as soon as I saw his eyes, I can't explain this, I saw Jesus in his eyes. Never talked to the guy. He sat down and he opened his mouth and I think I was with him for five minutes. And in five minutes, he got up and he left and I thought to myself, I've just encountered Jesus, the heart of Christ. Everything he said, everything he did, the way that he looked, it was all exuded the heart of Christ. People should feel that way with us. They should know that when they come into contact with us, something's different. They should yearn to be with us. John 13, 35 puts it this way. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So when we live our lives and we love well, when we understand who God is, that he is our source of love, and we're able to pass that along and to be people of love, we put on who God is for display for everybody, and the kingdom advances, all because of love. So here's the question. First, do you know love? Are you plugged into the source of love? You may be here this morning and you've been, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places. I can tell you this right now. If you're looking for love today, your search is over. God is here and he is the source of love. Receive him. Like Chip said this morning, make room for him and he'll come and he'll dwell with you. The second is this. How are you doing in the love department? You're getting ready to walk into the teeth of the holidays, right? 
family members that you don't like, rather, you know, even though you don't even tolerate them, you don't want to be with them. How will you love? The pressure is being put on you right now. What's going to pop out? Talk to God about that. Ask him, say, Lord, will you show me how to love well? Bow your heads. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Ask him, say, God, are you my source? Holy Spirit, am I loving well? Listen to what he tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.